Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Hope you are well, uh, or at least on the road to being well, if, uh, if you find yourself unwell this day. Um, I'm very, very grateful for all the prayers, uh, the encouragement to uh, get well and to rest. That was um, just very thankful for your heart, uh, and I'm very grateful to our staff and other leaders who, who dove in. Uh, some of you don't know this, last, last Friday and Saturday we had scheduled something that I had been waiting kind of five years to happen, and it, it took place, and I had to go home sick in the middle of it that Friday night. Um, it was a, 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 an event for our deacons and their wives, and um, a great time. was. It's probably better that I wasn't there, quite frankly, uh, based on some of the things I've heard that God has done. And uh, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for our staff who stepped in uh, in so many ways. For, for Guy who took up the mantle last week to open the word kind of at the last minute. I'm, I'm grateful for that and uh, grateful for you. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, maybe you've been hanging out here for a while. And you've been thinking, you know, it's about time to, to take that step. And, uh, and kind of unite myself uh, as part of this family in an official way. Uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, uh, we'll do our... Exploring Church Membership Seminar. It, it, details are in the newsletter. You can find that there, but uh, you can just show up at four. Uh, if you need child care, if you'd let us know uh, by signing up on your way out in our Connection Center, that would be helpful for us to prepare for that. But uh, it's not too late. You, you, you can come. There's, there's a way to do that. Now, last week I was scheduled to give what we kind of affectionately call the State of the Church message. And uh, so some of you may have shown up this week thinking that's what's going to happen. I was also scheduled today to do a message on uh, sanctity of human life and we're going to do that today because today is all across our country um, that I'm postponing that that message on the state of the church till, till next week and so if you have your Bibles I'm going to ask you to open them to Genesis chapter 21 we're going to start reading in verse 14 in just a few minutes we're not going to jump into that just yet uh, because I, I just want to make some qualifying statements if you would because I want you to understand when when we say that, that life is, is, is sacred, that when we make this statement, sanctity of human life, what, what we mean is, is that every human life uh, is, has innate, intrinsic, inherent value from the moment of conception uh, all the way through, through life. From, from womb to tomb. You've probably heard that phrase. From womb to tomb, if you would. And we, we believe that. That before anybody ever does anything, before they contribute something to society, before they have anything to offer, before they ever are impressive in any way, God bestows on that individual inherent value simply because they're a person made in his image. Now today, I'm going to say things like life is, is sacred. Life begins at conception. And, and maybe that may cause something to start pricking in your heart or, or, or your head. And I want you to know that that does not mean that God brought you here today to shame you about your past in any way. That, that's, that's not the, the God of the Bible. I, maybe you're here today and somewhere in your past, part of your story has been marked by, by abortion. Uh, 
Or maybe somewhere in your past you uh, have some connection to uh, abuse. Maybe you were an abuser or were, were abused. Or, 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 or maybe you, you've never been a person who gave a rip about the plight of, of immigrants or vulnerable people. Well, God did not bring you here this morning in order to shame you about any of those things. See, God, God redeems our histories. He redeems our, our stories. Now, they shape us, certainly. But if you're in Christ, they don't shame you anymore. That's the truth of what it means to be in Christ. Now, in the Bible, Jesus is described in John chapter 1, verse 14, as, as coming when he came. He was filled with grace and, and with truth. And if you study the life of Jesus, if you study the teachings of Jesus, one of the things you're going to find out about Jesus' truth and grace is those two things were never in competition. They, they always worked in tandem with one another. When you see people, Jesus ministering to people, grace and truth work together. They didn't cancel the other one out. So, so please hear this. If, if there's anything that feels like truth being said today and it, it's heavy for you, or, or, or it's hard for you, please know this. That's when God's grace increases for you. That's when God pours out more of his, his grace on you. So look for that. Look for the grace of God in that. It, it always comes in the form of a Savior because he, he never gives you a burden. He always lifts burdens. He doesn't add them. He graces you out of those burdens in, in this life. And I, I also... I also need for you to, to, to hear this. Though I'm addressing this subject today, I'm not making a political speech. Somebody should say, thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to make a, a political speech because here's, here's just the truth about this issue regarding life. It was a theological issue long before it ever became a political issue. It was an issue on the heart of God first. Because all of life owes its existence to God. And quite frankly, truthfully, when you get down to it, the only political statement that ever needs to be made in the church of Jesus is that Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord of all. It, it, these, these issues don't belong to, to any political party. See, if Jesus was campaigning, here's what his poster would be. Can you bring that slide up? This would be Jesus's, it's an empty tomb. That's Jesus's political, that's his statement. He, he overcame death. You know, his campaign slogan, you can find that in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, come unto me all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Jesus' promise you can find in John 10.10. 10. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life, real life, eternal life. That, that, that's Jesus. You know what I know something cool? His term of office is eternity. There'll never be an impeachment. He'll never be kicked out of office. Jesus, Jesus never takes polls to see, you know, because he's soliciting votes, because he's not doing that. He's changing hearts. That, that's what Jesus is. See, th those things, th they don't belong to any political party because the truth is one day all of those things are going to be gone. And the only thing that's going to be left standing is the people of God with God. 
that, that, that's going to be it. So when we approach this and we make statements saying that, that all human life is, is sacred and therefore should be sacred to us, we need to remember that God made that statement very clear when he sent his son in human form, his son Jesus. And Jesus perfectly displayed the heart of God and the character of God and everything changed. And if you're, if you're part of the people of God, we have to believe that and we have to know that, that, that our lives have been changed. So when it comes to issues like this, especially about the sacredness of life, as disciples of Jesus, one of the things we've got to have happen in our lives is realize that the questions have changed for us. The moment we come to Jesus, all the foundational questions change the moment that we put our faith in him. The questions change from what do I believe and what do I feel and how was I raised. The questions change from those to what does God think? What does God say? What, what is on his heart? And, and so here's the deal. So often when we come to issues like this that kind of are hot, hot button issues out there, we, we, sometimes we think of ourselves as, well, we're kind of opinionated. You know, we're opinionated people. Friends, you are not opinionated if you're proclaiming the, the voice of God, the heart of God. You're commissioned. You're a commissioned person by God to proclaim his truth, to proclaim his beauty, to proclaim his hope. Because God has called us to represent him in the world. I heard a while back a great illustration of what that looks like. Any of y'all go to movies? Kathy and I are moviegoers, you know. And, um, and you know if you go to a movie today, you have to sit through about 47 hours of trailers. You know, and what is the purpose of a movie trailer? To, to preview, to give you kind of a, a glimpse of, 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 of what's going to happen. You know, kind of who the characters are and what the movie, is it going to be funny? Is it going to be a comedy? Is it going to be intense? You know, what's the quality in the movies like? The problem with lots of movie trailers is some of them are really lousy. The movie may end up being great, but nobody goes because the, the, the trailer was so lousy. Unfortunately, that's true of the church. At, at times, the church itself is to be a preview. The, the people have got you and, and me. We're supposed to be a picture, a glimpse of what the world will one day be like upon Jesus' return. Just a glimpse. It's, it's going to be imperfect. It's just a trailer. It's a preview. It's not the, it's not the whole thing, but, it, but at least a glimpse. And so when it comes to issues of life being sacred, we cannot afford... To, to, to misrepresent God on this issue. We can't afford to be such a broken picture of, of God's heart that we, we, we run people away from the great story of God. We've got to see people with, and treat them with the dignity that God does. So when we talk about life being sacred, we first see that it's sacred to God. And if our job is to be a preview, if our job is to, to be that trailer, then we're supposed to be some small reality that points to a bigger reality about what's true for God. 
So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to just kind of throw out there the, the big idea for the day. There's only two blanks to fill in today. Okay? And then what I want to do is I, I, want, I want this book, the book of books, to kind of reveal the reality of what I, I'm about to fill in for you. And I, here, here's what, here's what I, I want us to walk away with today is, is understanding this. God especially regards and responds to vulnerable people. God has a special heart. He especially, he sees, he hears the cries of, he, he, he regards and he responds to vulnerable people in a very unique way. He notices their needs. And, and so should we. That, that's the, the point of the message today. So if, if you got your Bibles, if you got the book, grab it. We're looking at Genesis chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 14. It says this, So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he took bread and a skin of water, a, a canteen basically, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and he sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, I know that what I've just done is I picked up right in the middle of a story. Because if I hadn't, we'd have gone way, way back. And we don't have time for all of that. But let me just try to, try to encapsulate it kind of quickly for you. This story, which is in the, the, the middle of a story about Abraham, which is part of the main story, which is God's story. Abraham, you may remember, God made him a promise. And God made him a promise that he'd be the father of a great nation, quite frankly, many nations. He says, you're going to have children that outnumber the sands, grains on the seashore more, more than the stars in the sky. You know, anybody remember that kid song? Father Abraham, sing it with me, had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. You're stuck with that the rest of the day. Just... Just a brain worm now, you know. You, can't, you won't be able to get that out. But here's the, here's the deal. The, the, that was the promise. But you know what the problem was? Sarah and Abraham could not get pregnant. They couldn't have a child. And so Abraham decides, I've, I've got an idea. And she brings Abraham, her, her female Egyptian servant named Hagar. We just read about Hagar a moment ago. And she says, Abraham, here's what you need to do. You need to sleep with Hagar. You need to have a child by Hagar. That will be the way you get this, this whole thing going. And Abraham said, okay. Abraham was a man. Sometimes he was a man who had great faith. And sometimes he was the biggest fool that walked the planet. He just kind of oscillated like that at times. So he and Hagar have a baby and the child is named Ishmael. Just read about Ishmael. And how do you think eventually Sarah starts to feel about this whole deal? It goes, it goes south. She, she starts to get bitter and dysfunctional. And if you fast forward a few years, she eventually has a child named Isaac. And one day she sees big brother Ishmael picking on little brother Isaac like big brothers do. And she loses it. And she goes to Abe and says, they got to go. They're out of here. 
And that gets us to, to verse 14. And so with this, with this heavy heart, Abraham gives them food and water and he sends them off. Now, it's easy to read these stories and not pick up on in this one particularly how, how dire this is for this woman and this child. What, what this puts them in as Abraham just kind of pushes them out. They lose their protection. They lose their covering. They lose all their resources. They've lost all the basic necessities to keep them alive. Ishmael, before that moment, had a sizable inheritance, which he lost immediately. But more importantly, he lost his father. He lost, he lost his daddy. And in that moment, they became representatives of the most vulnerable people in any culture. I mean, think about it. Functionally, she's a widow. Functionally, she's now this single mom. She's a refugee. She's impoverished. The little boy, he's abandoned. He's disowned. Culturally, he'd have been considered an orphan. And not only did they lose all that they had, but they lost any hope of a future. Because their future now can only go as far as the water that they're carrying. That's as far as their future goes. And if you notice in verse 15, grab your Bibles again. It runs out. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off. Some translations say a hundred yards. Some translations say an arrow shot. But it was far enough for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and, and she wept. She puts this child under a bush and basically she says, don't leave this. You stay here. And you can almost hear the cry of the little boy saying, Mommy, where are you going? And she finally gets out of earshot, out of line of, line of sight, so she doesn't have to, to witness this. Because she knows what, what's coming. She knows what's uh, uh, about to happen. She knows that death is imminent. So she, imminent. So she comes, she, she just separates herself from that. And the, the only real question in the moment is, which one of them is going to go first? Who's going to pass first? Now, friends, as a dad, and, and now as a, a grandfather, those are the kinds of things that are like worst, worst nightmares imaginable. But then the Bible says something really interesting. God intervenes. Verse 17, And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. And he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with the bow. See, God showed up. God showed up. Now, as you read through this book, there are these moments when God shows up. And I think an important question to regularly ask is why? Why, why does God show up then? Right, right then. Now, if, if, you were, if you had to be an attorney 
and give kind of a, a reason to God why he should do something about this, why, why, why he should not just let this play out and, and, and just watch it. And so you're making this appeal to God. What do you go to him and say? Do you go to him and say, hey, these are wealthy people. They're prominent and influential people. They, they're pillars of the, the community. Was that true? No. I mean, it, 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 it wasn't true. I mean, she was an adulteress. This child was born in adultery. He was not the promised child. He was, he was none of those things. There, there was nothing of cultural value related to the lives of these people. No, nothing like that. They, they have no food. They have no, they have no future. Not, nothing for, for, for these two that you can appeal to other than, God, would you save them just simply because they're human beings? Just, just simply because they're people. And that's enough for God. That, that's enough of, of, a, of a cry for God. And I think that's one of the reasons that this, this story is so staggering and at the same time so clarifying is, is because from here on out, as you kind of move through the story of God, Ishmael and Hagar just are no longer major players. They're just not prominent players. It, it all becomes about Abraham and, and Isaac. So, so why save them? Why, why do they matter to God? Because everybody does. All people everywhere matter to God. And God says to Hagar, that boy, that illegitimate son of yours, I, I hear him. I, I have high regard for him. I'm responding to, to his cries. Even, even when she got to where she couldn't hear anymore, God did. God, God regarded this. His, his, God's senses get heightened and his response towards them is quickened because that's who he is. And that's a picture throughout this book. And I, I hope one day you think of this as God's autobiography. God writing his story so you see it and, and, and can read it and, and know it because he shows up and their lives change. And he provides a well. I don't know if you noticed that. It was there, but she couldn't see it. And so often that's true for you and me. It's there, but we can't see it. God has to open our eyes to his, his deliverance. And I hope you really were grabbed by what verse 20 said. Verse 20 said that God was with the boy. Now please understand what that means. It doesn't mean that he was just with him for, you know, for those five minutes. What, what it means is, is that God stayed with him. God came to Ishmael and said, Ishmael, I, the God of heaven and earth, I'm, I'm going to be a father to you. See, God doesn't come along and just offer handouts to the fatherless. He doesn't just try to provide a, a, a nice little favor. God says, I'm going to be a father to the fatherless. 
And this is one of the first times in, in the scriptures where we actually get to see that. God proclaims it in his word in Psalm 68. God, God makes that statement. It is, a, it is a self-identifying statement that God makes a, reveals to us about himself. He says, I will be a father to the fatherless. I will be a protector uh, of the widow. And it says that God does this in his holy habitation. In other words, this is just who he is. This is the way he rolls all the time, where, the way he exists. Tim Keller, when he was teaching on this passage of scripture, one of the things that he asked is, how true does something have to be about you before you would use it as a self-describing statement? How true does something, you know, have to be about you? See, I, I, would, I would tell you that I, I'm, a, I'm a husband, I'm a papa, I'm a father, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a pastor, uh, I'm a do-it-yourselfer. Those are kind of terms I use to describe myself. You know, if, if I ran out that door and ran around the building and came back in that door, I would not start describing myself as an athlete. And you would know why pretty quickly. You, you know? Um, it, it, it would become kind, kind of obvious. But that, that would not factor into a self-description about myself because it, it wouldn't be true. But here's God describing himself, wanting people to know who, who he is. And he says, I am a father to the vulnerable. God leads with that. He wants you to know that that's who he is. I'm a father to the fatherless. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a champion, a defender for the widow. And see, when God becomes a man, when God sends his son, how does he come? Who does he spend time with? Was it in palaces with princes? No. It was in poverty with peasants. That's who God in the flesh came and was with. And so much of Jesus' ministry, as you read it, as you study it, it was to outcast, it was to the needy, it was to the vulnerable. His miracles and his, his teachings and his healings, his offerings of, of forgiveness and mercy were so often made to those who had been put out. This is God of the Bible. This is the God we worship. He regards people especially vulnerable people because every human life is sacred and bears his image. Now please get this. God's response to people who are hurting, who are vulnerable, it doesn't need any other motivation than that. And if that's true of him, shouldn't the preview of God, shouldn't that be true of us? Shouldn't that be, be who we are? That we would just somehow capture that reality about God in the here and now. And, and today, today maybe that's what we all need to be confronted by. Because in our world, in our lives, whether somebody gets our regard, whether somebody gets a response of, from us, is so often related to, to an equation of them plus something. For, in other words, it's like a person plus something else in order for them to get regard from us or response from us. It's like a person and they're impressive. It's like a person plus they, they have something to offer me. It's like a person plus the, their network would be good for me. It's like a, a person plus they, they, they seem to be fun. fun. It's, it's like a person plus they've never, they've never wronged me. But here's the problem. When you start filling in this equation of a person plus something, what do you do when you run into a person plus needy? A, a, a person plus poor? 
A person plus disabled. A person plus unborn. Far too often what happens to our regard and our response is it gets dulled. It gets, it, it gets hidden. Because we kind of think, not my problem. But in those moments, God moves towards it. God's regard increases. His response time quickens. And shouldn't that be true of, of the people of God? See, friends, here's the reality. In God's economy, the pluses that matter to the world the most matter the least to him. And the pluses that matter, you know, the least to the world matter most to him. And that's just the truth about the, the economy of God. And he actually, please, please hear this, God actually demands that those who bear his name properly place those pluses. And we just see people as people that bear his name. Jesus was really, really clear what this would look like. And it's recorded in Matthew 25. Jesus says one day, one day, he's going to tell a group of people something. He's going to say this. Depart from me. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And if you read the rest of that, the, the people there are kind of like, Jesus, man, when, when was that you? I, I'm, sure I'd have, I, I'm sure I would have remembered that. I, I just feel like I'd have, I'd, have, I'd, have, I'd have known that. And Jesus said, when you did not regard them, when you didn't see them, you disregarded me. You, you, you disregarded me that same way. See, it's really important. It's really important here at, at a moment like this to be clear about something. I'm not trying to communicate that the gospel of Jesus is only about helping or primarily about helping. It's a part of it. But see, the gospel of Jesus is, is the, this reality that death is for sinners and that the Lord Jesus reigns over all. And the, he, he, his, his rule and reign got inaugurated at, at his resurrection. And one day, it's going to be consummated in his imminent return. And the only thing that we can do is respond to that with repentance and, and belief, with faith. That's, that's the heart of the gospel. That's what the gospel is. But see, Jesus, when he teaches those who have decided upon him, who have trusted his gospel... He, he, he makes statements without apology that belief in that gospel will lead to lives that regard and respond to vulnerable people just like he does. In the same, with the same measure as the, as the Heavenly Father does. I don't know if you know, but, but there, there are some stories in the Bible that are popular with unbelievers more, more than other stories. So one of the stories that's very popular with unbelievers is the story that Jesus tells about, about the Good Samaritan. And you may know that story. It's this story of uh, this man who's beaten by robbers, left for dead. And two religious people kind of walk around, try to get away from. But then this guy who's really thought of as being rejected by culture, a Samaritan, comes along and, and cares. And, and gets involved and, and, and gets engaged and, and dives in and pours his, pours his life into it. He regards and, and, and he responds. He doesn't walk away without seeing. Because he didn't think of that person as a commodity. 
See, here's part of the problem is, is what preview of God are we giving in our day and time? Is it a preview uh, uh, of God that shows him to be that, those people that walk around? Or is it a preview of God that gets involved, that, that engages, that, 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 that looks, that responds? Because that's what he's done for us. He regarded us in our sin. He responded by, by sending his son. He rescued us, the Bible tells us. He is redeeming us. He's re restoring us. And so the huge question I think today in our culture is, is around us today, who does God especially regard? Whose cries are, are, are in his ears? Who, who are the most vulnerable that God moves towards? And I believe that one of the answers, not all, but I believe that one of those answers is that God regards babies in mother's wombs. They have no voice. In our culture, they have no rights. They don't have an ability to defend themselves. In the past 50 years, over 62 million of their lives have been taken in, in this country alone. Don't know if you know this, but the leading cause of death globally is abortion. Now, they don't use that language. Have any of y'all ever seen um, the worldometer? You ever gone online and looked at the worldometer? You, you can just Google worldometer and it will take you to, to this site and all kinds of things are being, numbers are rattling off. And so it'll give you, first of all, the, the earth's population at the moment. And it'll give you things like how many barrels of oil are left in the earth and how many we've used and how much coal's left. It'll, it'll give you how many emails were sent already this year. Uh, and so it starts on, you know, on, at, at midnight on January 1 and runs through. Last night at 8 o'clock, I went on the Worldometer and I just, I just sat there and watched. And last night, here was the, the numbers of deaths since January 1 in the world. 2,874,000 plus because the number was changing rapidly. The Worldometer also gives the numbers of abortions in the world. Now all of these calculations are done by statistics that come from the United Nations and the World Health Organization. Those are not biblically conservative organizations by the way. But that's where they get their information to, to create this, this statistic, if you would. But last night at 8 o'clock, 2,076,000 plus abortions had already taken place globally this year. It almost rivals the numbers of deaths. Now that's not part of the death equation. That's, that's like heart attacks and HIV AIDS and every other kind. Murder, all those other things. But it's almost keeping pace. And I sat there and, and I just watched that number change. And I can't watch that number change without thinking of my grandchildren. Since Christmas, I have had the privilege of spending a very significantly increased amount of time with them. And I'll tell you about that some other time. But for those of you who don't know, I have a four-year-old grandson. I have a 20-month-old granddaughter. His name is Emmett. Her name is Elliot. And um, I have a 14-week, 
in the womb, grandchild on the way. My daughter Caitlin's pregnant with our, our third grandchild. Thank you. Yeah. Congratulate her. Um, we're, we're excited about that. But I cannot, I can't look at statistics, I can't look at those numbers on that meter run without, without thinking uh, about them. Elliot, our little 20-month-old granddaughter, man, her face is amazing to me. It's just, it's amazing to me. And right now, that little life is worth defending and it's recognized by the laws of our land. She matters. She matters to most anybody on the planet. But simultaneously, that little 14-week-old growing in its mother's womb is not regarded the same way. People don't respond the same way. Right now, if Elliot needed help, the, the people of God especially would, would engage prayerfully. They would regard her and respond. When, when did that start? When, when did we look at her that way? For those of you that don't know Elliot, she has this beautiful light hair. And sometimes when she first wakes up, it'll stick up. Kind of like her grandfather's does. You know who else has hair? Those who study this tell us that hair begins to form on a baby's head at 14 weeks. That little baby has hair that's sticking up too. My daughter, granddaughter Elliot, has, um, she takes this after her grandma. She loves shoes already. She's always, feet! She wants you to see her feet and her shoes. And uh, my, my daughter has this app that kind of shows her the development of the, the child in her womb. And so, can you bring that picture up? This is the, the size of, um, she had to name the baby uh, in this app. And so the baby's E3 right now. Um, that's what she, she named a big E3. She, I don't know whether it's like an E3PO for Star Wars or what, but anyway. Um, but that would be, this is a screenshot of Caitlin's phone, and that would be the size of E3's foot, of, of that little baby's foot. See, th th this is life. This is what's going on. But, you know, when, when, did, when did Elliot, who I can hold, when did her life begin? When did, when did it begin? When did, when did this baby housing three's life begin? Well, if I look at the scientific evidence, when, when are the signs that Elliot first became life? It's far earlier than most abortions happen. When is her life sacred? Friends, there are so many answers that are being given in our culture about this, and they are so confusing and so contradictory. Just, they are. You know what's not confusing or contradictory? Simple driving directions. Those are pretty straightforward usually. You know? If you've ever been West Ashley and you are on Highway 7, known as Sam Rittenberg Boulevard, if you're heading south on Sam Rittenberg Boulevard, heading towards Savannah Highway, and you come to Ashley River Road, Highway 61, if you come to that intersection, if you turn right, 
and go just a little over a mile, about two miles, you come to Roper St. Francis Hospital. That's where both of my grandchildren have, were born. Most likely will be where baby Housing 3 will be born. Lots of joyous moments there for lots of people. If you, at that same intersection, turn left and go just a little over a mile, you'll come to the Planned Parenthood office. And there's a whole different story going on there. Just, just a, a completely different story. Now, I imagine going through that intersection every day or hundreds, thousands of cars... And some turn left, and, and, and some turn right. Some turn left, and life is celebrated, it's protected, it's guarded. And somebody who turns in the other direction, our culture calls it a courageous decision to vacuum out a fetus. You, you, you turn right, and there's this this baby and we take pictures and we post, post them but you turn left and you can just kind of take a life and just go on, on your way. Probably even what's more radically confusing to me personally is it has to do with the health of a baby. And it's interesting to me that if, if a, a, a baby that's 14 weeks old has, has Down syndrome, then it's no longer thought of as a person. It's something, something that needs to be terminated like 70% of Down syndrome babies are in, in our country. And they call it a, 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 this health issue. But you let a special needs child get picked on in school and somebody video that thing? And there is outrage like you won't believe. Where are those voices? Where, where, where are they? Where do those voices go? When does life matter? Somebody turns right and they discover that there's no longer a heartbeat. And there is mourning and there is terrible grief like some of you have experienced and know. And I am so sorry for that. But you turn left and somebody stops a heartbeat intentionally. And all of that can be decided by one person. Just one person gets to make a decision like that. I, it, it confuses me. It's contradictory. So who brings clarity? Who, who could bring clarity to you? Only God. And he has an opinion. And he regards. And we need to regard what he says matters. And God says all of life. In the womb all the way to the tomb needs to be regarded. Because I'm the one who gives life. And I'm the one who responds. So when does Elliot's life become sacred? When did this little 14 week old in the womb baby housing three become, become sacred when God said so at, at, at conception. Now you might be here today and maybe you're a little cynical and maybe you're a little angry that I used personal pictures to illustrate this. Maybe you're, you're saying Joe that was manipulative to, 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 to be so personal and intimate. 
Friends, that's the point. God sees every one of those children like I see the little baby in that womb over there. God sees everyone that way. And the way that it would tear at your heart, if it were your child or your grandchild, is the way that it tears at the heart of God. And the way that it needs to tear at the heart of God's people. And please hear me say this. God's eyes are not only for the, the vulnerable in the womb. At, at what point could you put enough stuff on top of Elliot's life that God would no longer regard her? You know, if, if, if one day she starts making mistakes, God says, sit done with that. Does he do that? Do, do, you know, if one day she's poor... Or she's, she's homeless. Does, she get, does God disregard her? Maybe she starts being confused about her, her belief. Maybe she turns away from God for a season. I pray that never happens. But would that shut off God's love and care and compassion toward... No. Because that's not who he is. God never disregards. I had the privilege a few weeks back of watching one of our dear members, Karen Beatty, care for her baby sister who is suffering from an aggressive form of Alzheimer's. And Karen and Peggy, her, her sister's name is Peggy, are both members of our church. And I got to watch as Karen delicately cared for her sister who, who some people would discard. But Karen doesn't because God has changed her heart and, and the God in her compels her to, to love her sister, to embrace her sister. Because ne God never would reject. God never would give up on. If she were Hagar in the wilderness, would God notice? Well, we know he does. He, he, he sees, God regards. And so the question is, do we? So what do we mean by life is sacred? What does it mean at, at church? Well, what it means for us today is that we, we need to partner with organizations that say life matters. Organizations like Low Country Pregnancy Center. Organizations like Low Country Cares that cares for those who are struggling out in our, our community. And I also think it means that specifically and personally we have to ask ourselves the questions that in our circle, in our little sphere of influence where God has planted us where we live, work, and play, how am I responding to the needs right around me? How, how can I be present? How can I be this preview, this movie trailer of the kingdom of God where I live, work, and play? And maybe this morning it just needs to start with a prayer. Maybe the beginning place for you is God... God, I want to see, I want to regard the people right around me the way that you do. God, I, maybe I'm not hearing the cries. Maybe I'm, I'm not seeing the plight. God, would you open my eyes? God, would you show me? Maybe, maybe it means that if you're here today and this is just tough for you and that your, your takeaway would be guilt or shame, you need to hear God say to you, that is not my plan for you. That is not why you're, you're in this room. It, you're right. It is too much to bear. And that's why you don't have to bear it anymore. That's why I sent my son. And the response today for you may just simply be Jesus. I can't carry this anymore. I need you. 
I just, I surrender to you. That, that rest, I'm looking for that. I'm weary. And so you need today to let Jesus' love take center stage. Because in this moment, you need to know that God especially regards you. Because he sees you as vulnerable. And God knows your hurt and your heart. And he wants you to hear him say, he's responding to you. And he did it on the cross. He did it when he gave his life. No matter what your circumstances are, he cares. Maybe right now you feel a lot like Hagar. Maybe you feel like you've been cast out. And the people around you don't see the value. Maybe you're so overwhelmed and, and you're so torn. And you just need for God to open your eyes so that you could see his provision for you. He wants to do that for you today. And his provision may be these people right here. I've had the privilege of doing life here for over 30 years. And one of the things I know about the people of this community is they will love you through your mess. In your mess while you are a mess. Because I are one. And you are too. And God has called us to love one another that way. Let him regard you today. Let him be a response for you today. You can trust Jesus. Pray with me. Father God, we come right now in the powerful name of Jesus. We come, God, giving thanks that you, you especially regard. You rapidly respond to the most vulnerable in our world to the most vulnerable in this room and, and that may be you right now. And though the way other people kind of equate that, you may not hit that scale but you know in your heart right now you feel vulnerable. You, you feel discarded like Hagar or like Ishmael. You, you feel fatherless or you feel widowed. You feel cut off. And the God of all of creation wants you to hear today that you matter to him. That he sees he hears your cry and all you got to do the Bible says is call out cry out on the name of Jesus in faith and in repentance and he'll come and save he'll respond he'll show you the provision of God for your life you can do that right where you're at right in this moment you can just pray God I need you I've tried it on my own and I can't get past this burden. I can't get past this shame. I can't get past feeling rejected. So God, I come. Or maybe you're here today, probably like most of us, and we just need it to be reminded about what matters to God. And our prayer needs to be, dear God, show me what you see right where I live, work, and play. Open my eyes, God, and let me see you. Father, we come to worship you through giving, of our financial resources, giving you our hearts. We come to worship you, God, and give thanks now. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.